Ryan Stanton here with A Set Frontline. Uh, joined today, an interesting topic that just kind of happenstance by the window here at the uh, at uh, ASEP 21 in Boston with uh, Dr. Kirk Hinckley. Um, not only a guy that I have uh, hit the links with, um, he's adjusted my golf swing, uh, but also an important topic um, in terms of discussion of atypical, not necessarily atypical, opportunities from EM. So emergency medicine allows you a bunch of different cool opportunities. You know, being kind of the the specialist in the unscheduled acute care situation, there's a lot of different things that we can do. For instance, I do the motorsports, um, but uh, for Kirk, doing um, some of the interesting things he's done with CCAT, we've had a lot, a lot of discussions on that. So give us a little background, introduce yourself, and uh, we'll, we'll dive into it. Yeah, Ryan. So I'm I'm Kirk Hinckley. I am a 2007 grad at Wright State University, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base Residency. Um, through that time, I was um, bought and paid for by the U.S. Air Force. And so I was one of those HPS, HPSP guys um, through med school. Um, following my residency, which I was active duty, I actually um, took an attending role down in Biloxi, Mississippi, Keesler Air Force Base. And when I was down there, I was assigned, uh, basically it was called a UTC. It's basically my job when I deploy, and that was CCAT. And so for, for people that don't know, CCAT is Critical Care Air Transport Team. And that is basically ICU care in disguise, mm -hmm. right? So in the back of, when, when, when I did it, it was mostly in the back of fixed-wing aircraft. Um, think the, the four-fan uh, of freedom or the big the big air force jets that you see flying around uh we're doing care of the the ill and injured out of afghanistan and iraq in the back of those things so let's give us a breakdown people may not un may not know the progression of how how uh, we have a soldier on the on the front lines uh gets injured kind of walk us through that process of what happens to him because now we're to the point that we've had just this We've gone from significant injury, likely means permanent disability or death, to incredible survival and recovery rates. Yeah, and I think uh, we've learned a lot, and certainly that's kind of translated over to, to civilian care of, of trauma patients. But, uh, you know, it's not dissimilar to how we take care of casualties in the U.S., so regular trauma patients, right? So there's care at the scene, and that's generally provided by their buddies. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's some sort of medevac, which is getting them to the first medical care um, or, or, or casavac, I, I should say, is the term that we use. And then um, a more formal medevac. So whether that's by ambulance or some some ground unit or by helicopter or in my case, um, kind of a couple steps down down the line would be the, the CCAT teams or or formal airvac. And when we're you know, we have these. Um so, so, so we've got those transitions, the, the transport, um, and a lot of times with critical care, critical care air transport, CCAT, we're, you know, we're hearing about you know, things that, that happen there, then they end up in Germany, then they end up in uh, flying back to the United States. Kind of give an overview of how that process works with, with the yeah, right. medical. So, yeah, so a soldier might get injured out in the middle of nowhere, and they are kind of informally evacuated to maybe their FOB, so a forward operating base that might have a, have a medical team there. So the medical team's gonna provide some stabilization until the, 
the rotary wing aircraft generally arrives. Not dissimilar from a, a small community hospital that's going to initially stabilize a trauma patient. Um, from there, um, they're going to get rotary wing evac to a bigger trauma center, right? And so at those bigger trauma centers, they're going to have the, more, the specialists that are involved, the actual trauma surgeons, uh, the specialty surgeons are going to be there. Like think of the big hospitals like Bagram in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And from there, a team like mine um, would transport that patient either within, within theater, within Afghanistan, for example, or from Afghanistan to Germany. Uh, and then we also have teams that are based in Germany that often haul these guys back home. What's what the uh, we always hear about Germany? What's the what's the setup in, in so, Germany? So, so Launchstuhl um, is the only level one verified trauma center outside of the United States. So it's an American facility. It's an army base um, that has a level one trauma center, and so it is a large kind of tertiary care type hospital. That's mostly what well, it's it's American based. So mm -hmm. so you have active duty folks and you have a lot of uh, civilian contractors are providing medical care there. And then you have these teams, you know, these soldiers that need to go back home um, and they're going to be moved by either AIRVAC or, or if they need specialty care by CCAP. As we move, you know, it's, it, as we, we hear about all the uh, innovations and, and advancements that come from the military to our, our home practices and the emergency departments, um, with your experience with CCAT, Talk about some of those things that not only did you see move and evolve, advance within the military realm and then translate to the civilian realm and vice versa. So I think some of the devices that you might see in, in civilian practice now that are pretty common and things that we worked on back in the day. So the Glidescope Ranger, mm -hmm. right? Glidescopes are now pretty pervasive. Um, I know that I took um, the store CMAC on its first voyage in, in an Air, Air Force uh, fixed-wing aircraft, took some pictures, and that was 2010, the earthquake, earthquake in Haiti. Um, TXA, mm -hmm. right, now really commonplace in, in, in trauma centers or across the country. This was really something that we kind of stole from the Brits and things that they were doing um, before we really had the science on it. Um, think about uh, the impact vent which mm -hmm. is a military design um, now now owned by Zoll. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of tools that we use that are kind of um, part of our everyday lives now and, and in even medications that uh, are pretty um, pretty commonplace in use that, that came out of military data. So we have a lot of listeners out there and you know talking about the workforce and jobs and, and things of that nature. You know describe the, the reasoning and thought process with somebody who's out there right now considering getting into either full-time, part-time yeah. activities? So I, I talked to a lot of medical students about this, and they all want to know, well, are these military programs worth it, or are these National Service Corps contracts worth it? And, and the answer, I think, is if you're doing it for financial reasons, it's probably not a great choice. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it because you want to get training that you can't get anywhere else in the world, or you want to have a unique experience, then it's that's all the world worth it. So like you and I, we're kind of middle of our careers now. I, I would do anything to go back and get some of that really cool training that I got in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of hard in, in, back, back in the day when I was fresh out of, the, out of residency and I saw my, saw my classmates making big dollar contracts and I was just making a military salary. But I had the, the training that I received was really invaluable. Um, so whether I'm getting trained on 
bugs, like literally bugs, or I'm getting trained on CCAT or uh, disaster training of whatever type. It's just things that you can't easily get if you're a civilian. And there's a ton of options. I mean, it's not just, you know, full-time hopping into the, uh, in your case, the Air Force, um, you know, looking at actually right before I was uh, got asked to do the traveling NASCAR gig, um, I was working on joining the Kentucky Air Guard yeah. to do their CCAT program. Uh, because we actually were talking about some of the hazmat-based stuff, which is why they initially called me uh, and asked me to be running around in those level A suits all the time in the desert, and yeah. which, you, which you said immediately that's not ideal. But. So my day-to-day gig back right out of residency in a military ER was not all that exciting. It was a step above a walk-in clinic, you know. So mm-hmm. the, the population is relatively healthy. And so the the fun really came in when I got to deploy. But then I also, um, right after 2010 earthquake in Haiti, I came back early from that and and became a flight surgeon. And so for people that don't know, flight surgery has nothing to do with surgery. It's basically occupational medicine for special duty folks and aviators. Mm -hmm. And so I got to take care of some really kind of special people, Air Force uh, Special Operations. Um, I also did air traffic control. And then the reserve squadron is the, the, at at my base was kind of the world famous hurricane hunters. And so I got to see their mission. I got to see their people. Like how often do you get to talk to an oceanographer, you know, in, in your, in your day to day job nowadays. Right. So um, some really cool opportunities. I know, um, you know, my day-to-day changed. I was now doing, like, basically primary care physicals on these folks. Um, but I also got to go and inspect how much noise there was in the tire shop, or I got to go and make sure that the Burger King was safe, and things that they are not routine, right? And just kind of a cool niche job that, uh, you know, really kind of fits emergency medicine doc really well. Now, you were interested. You, you said you... Um you were the right state anyway, so there's all kinds of aviation things around. I mean, was that something that, that you had in mind and thoughts and interest before uh, heading up there to mid-Ohio? <laughs> Not really, but, um, you know, I thought uh, at the time when I was considering where I wanted to go to residency, I thought you kind of had to go to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. I went up to Wright State, and I was kind of very pleasantly surprised with Dayton and the program up there. Um, really great mentors out of that program. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think like any kid, I had my dream gig when I, you know, when I was growing up and I think for, for me, I always wanted to be a fighter pilot, but my vision sucked. So, um, I think what was it, Greg Henry that said that, that, uh, medicine is showbiz for ugly people. (laughs) Um, so it kind of fell right in, into my niche, right? So. Um, that's what I did, and uh, it was it was kind of nice to be around the aviation background in, in in Dayton. Yeah. Any take-home messages or anything that that you feel like you know your experiences, and of course we get to see each other uh, at conferences uh, on occasion. Any kind of take-home messages with your experiences then and now as a mid-career physician, um, especially for those that are just getting their just getting their training wheels off. Yeah, I think emergency medicine is really hard, and it can beat you up. And I think it's really important to have things that you do professionally that you can really enjoy. For me now, I do a lot of EMS, right? So for, for whomever out there, find something that you enjoy. There are military opportunities that are going to offer you different unique opportunities that you might enjoy, even though it's not going to pay you a lot of money. Um, you don't have to beat your brains out for the dollar all the time. And so... If you're interested in the Guard or the Reserve, some part-time opportunities with the military, I would say go for it. 
in particular, I think, um, you know, CCAT's an awesome job. If I could do it every day from now until I retire, I would mm -hmm. absolutely do that. Um, the other, I, I, I think flight medicine was really cool as well. Um, and it translates more directly to actual civilian jobs. So if you're thinking about preventative health or occupational medicine, um, I think that uh, military training um, would really lend to that well. How can folks get in touch with you? Have they got any questions, want to want to dig in a little bit more, or maybe have you spin some yarns with them? How can folks get in touch with you? Well, um, I can be bought off by, with bourbon, you know that, or, or a round of golf. But, um, yeah, <laughs> feel free to email me, um, and I, I can send my, my, yeah. say my email address. Yeah, yeah so K Hinkley, H-I-N-K-L-E-Y, at vtherm.com, V-T-H-E-R-M, vtherm.com. And I'm actually, you know, being from Kentucky and, and loving golf, uh, golf and bourbon are two things that I can. Yeah, I can golf make with happen. bourbon. Yeah, golf with bourbon. Both, Even both at the same time. <laughs> As for me, you can contact me, rstanton at asep.org, rstanton at asep.org, or at everydaymed on Twitter. Until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASEP Frontline. <laughs>